What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes and Spotify. Also, Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast and our website, talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster, and today we've got our special guest, Eddie Spaghetti from the Super Suckers and Frank Meyer from the Streetwalking Cheetahs. Uh, they've joined forces for the first time in their long-standing friendship to record a record called Motherfucking Rock and Roll. Say it again. Motherfucking Rock and Roll. Isn't One more fun? time. Isn't that fun to say? <laughs> Motherfucking Rock and Roll. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, you, they don't have to worry about placement at Walmart anymore because mm -hmm. nobody buys records. But uh, this is a great album. It's uh, Eddie Spaghetti, Frank Meyer, and uh, Brian Forsyth from Kicks is on here. Mike Sessa plays drums, uh, longtime Streetwalking uh, street Cheetahs drummer, and uh, a few other guest players. Uh, it's a great collection. Ten songs of uh, there's some power pop, there's some cow punk, there's some twang, there's some glam. It's a really, really good record. It's been in heavy rotation at my house for two or three weeks now. I so. I think the what makes a great what makes that a great record is the fact that these guys have known each other a long time, and uh, they're both kind of coming from a punk thing, but they both love glam rock. And what yeah. we mean by glam rock is Hanoi rocks and and stuff like that. Not you know an old Queen kind of glam and the sweet and stuff like that. Yeah. And old new wave when they when you know punk rock and new wave were kind of confusing to the kids, you know. And I think that 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 uh, lends itself into the making of these songs. Of course, this was all written sort of on the lamb, so to speak, because of COVID. Uh, yeah. over emails and phone calls and things like that. Um, but the fact that they had a, a slew of rock stars come in and lay down tracks or, or respectively lay tracks in their personal home studios during lockdown and forward the, the tracks to them for mixing, etc. They got the guitar player from the Knack and the guitar player for Kicks, and they cover a Knack song and a Kicks song. And what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Exactly. That's, that's enough for to to prick your ears up. Homer Simpson said, "Less artsy, more fartsy." Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I should premise the show. Uh, well, maybe I don't have to, but I'm going to. I, I wanted you guys to know that that Jason had a gig in Dallas last night, so he's fresh off of four hours of sleep, and uh, I was out with Nashville Pussy last night. So, oh, excellent. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so you're so, a little tore up. <laughs> yeah, you look, like, you look like you were out with Natural Pussy last night. <laughs> <laughs> just wearing the same shit. So. Yeah, exactly. I just put a hat on. Right. Eddie and I uh, hung out with them recently. We all played a big festival down here in Southern California together. And, and boy, oh boy, did we have fun. It was like a whole, it was almost like a whole weekend reunion because everyone's been away for so long on COVID and hadn't been touring the, you know, normally the super suckers and natural pussy do a lot of touring together. And we do a lot of shows with both those bands and like no one had seen each other in a while, except Eddie and I had seen each other. We made this record together, but everyone else was sort of like seeing old friends, you know, let's jump yeah, into that. Cool. Tell us, tell us how that kind of came about and where, 
this right where, here where you guys were in your in your headspace when you said hey let's we might as well just finish this right and and who came up with this this awesome title <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who aren't familiar, Eddie Spaghetti uh, from the Super Suckers and Frank Meyer from the Streetwalker Cheetahs, they just put out this record, collaborated. Um, it's called uh, Fra- Spaghetti and Frank, Frank and Spaghetti. Um, and the album is titled Motherfucking Rock and Roll. I'm just the messenger, folks. But there you go. Tell us how that came together. You guys have known each other for a long time, um, but I think this is the first time you've actually put a full record out together. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, well, that I mean, I guess the impetus for us working together started at the beginning of COVID when we were shut down. Um, uh, I was trapped in Amsterdam trying to get a flight home. and uh, you, say I made like a, a, you say it like that's a bad thing. Well, there's worse places to be stuck for sure. But, you know, we were out by the airport with no transportation. So it wasn't as glamorous as being at a, you know, a coffee shop or something cool like that. Right. Um, but uh, we were, we were stuck there and I wrote this song called shit's fucked about the whole situation. And uh, I came home with it in my phone, just like a little acoustic recording. And Frank had reached out to me about singing on a, a song that he written about uh, the whole COVID thing. And he had like this all-star uh, we are the world sort of a hands across your face sort of a thing um, <laughs> with all these, you know, quasi celebrities singing on it. And um, I was involved in that. And so that got us talking and he asked me, do you have anything kicking around? And I had this little song on my phone and I sent it over to him and he turns it into this full on like piece of rock music. And I was pretty impressed with that. And I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. You did that all at home. And he's like, yeah, I sure did. So we, we kind of fleshed that song out and uh, kind of farted that one out. And then we just kind of kept working together. Yeah, it's a, it's a great record. And um, I've been a fan of both your respective bands for a number of years, but Frank, I I have to say, I think this is my favorite thing you've done since the street walking cheetahs. And I'm not, that that's not downplaying any of your other multiple, multiple. That's kind of a lot. Yeah, that's that's a well come for coming from me if you put any value in that, but uh, <laughs> but I I love it, man. I've been listening to it since you sent it to me, and I find things on here on every listen that you know that I hear for the first time, and I I really enjoy it. There's it reminds me at times of a lot of bands that I love. I hear a little Super Group in here. I hear a little Sons of Hercules in here. I hear a little uh, River City Rebels in here. I love the fact that there's so much brass in the music. I think people downplay wind instruments and maybe don't always consider them rock and roll. But if you go back to like Little Richard or Michael Monroe and somebody that's just honking that sax, man, it's totally it totally makes the song. I got one word for you, Aerosmith. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, sure. yeah. I so mean, I think, tough, man. I think ZZ both top. Eddie, ZZ Eddie and I are ZZ Top. I think Eddie and I are both fans of all that sort of 70s classic hard rock stuff. So certainly all that has a, a bearing on probably both of our bands as well as this record. But I think maybe what makes this record a little different than our other ones and some of that stuff you're hearing where there's all this layers is that normally the way my bands have operated up until pretty recently, and I think the way Eddie's band has operated is, you know, you write some songs and demo them up and, you know, maybe... Some folks are writing them and you write them together. They're written on the road or what, or at home. But you get your songs together and then you go into a studio and you spend however many 
days or weeks or months or whatever you, you, your project takes. You make a record, and then you kind of go and do live shows to support that record. In this case, because live shows shut down and we were both lucky enough to have home recording situations and we didn't live too far from each other, so we were actually able to get together and keep our kind of, you know, the circle closed when everyone was flattening the curve and trying to stay away from everyone. We were able to sort of eke by and keep being creative during that time and probably spent more time on this record than neither one of us normally would because I feel like my overall approach to making a record is kind of like get in, get out, get it, you know, get it while it's hot. Everything should be first or second take, get all the guys sort of together, you know, get that live vibe. This is not that record until the end. It was basically me and Eddie making it together in home studios until we got to a point where we were like, okay, we got 10 good songs. We could get my drummer, Mike Sessa, in. We could get our sax player, Jeff Yeaton, in. We got Brian from Kicks, Brian Forsythe, and Burton Navarre from The Knack. And we started layering in some other levels, and all of a sudden we had this really, really big, full, rich record. Um, but it's because we spent a year making it. I don't think one of us normally would ever even want to spend a year making a record. If someone said to me, you want to spend a year making 10 songs? I'd be like, no, it takes me like a week. Let's move well, on. It's too, <laughs> it's too bad that you had time to kill. Yeah, I mean, right. well, I mean, it's a weird situation, but it was, a, I would call this a silver lining to an otherwise yeah. shitty year because I don't think Eddie wanted to be sitting out being on tour. And I had a day job that I got laid off from, plus my rock and roll live career being put on hold. So at first, the whole thing was a big, giant bummer, but this is just one of these ways that artists carve out silver linings out of you know uh social unrest essentially off, off topic how many books did you write during the lockdown i mean you have like you have like a dozen out right yeah now. i mean do you really want to know the answer to that i've got yeah I i've got i've got three um essentially book pitch outlines that me and amit zappa have been out there pitching uh and i've also yeah. been working with amit on his uh on his book so a bunch, Jason. Not, su not surprised in that. I think that that's great because you you have a zero for me. Beautiful brain. <laughs> well, yeah. that, no, that, that's not true, Eddie. Aren't, haven't you been sort of actually starting a book in the in the loosest sense of that term? I, I believe. Well, that, I mean, oh, oh, I'm yeah, supposed yeah. to be. You're supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. 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 Put it I'm this way: someone thinks Eddie's writing a book for them. Whether that's <laughs> happening or not is entirely. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's at least one person who's like, "Oh yeah, Eddie's, Eddie's writing a book." I was like, "Yeah." Hey, Eddie, I think <laughs> I, I think I know a ghostwriter for you. No. Yeah, I knew yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, believe me, I think Eddie and I have spent plenty of time together. I don't know that he's like, you know what I need more in my life right now is more Frank, Frank Meyer. Meyer. Frank yeah. Meyer. Yeah, he's definitely among that crew that's had this. Is, is, is there a knob on his, uh, Eddie, is there a knob on your amp that says Frank Meyer? You turn up Frank Meyer. You can only Frank you sprinkle it, just dab that knob in there. Like yeah, you don't need, there's, there's, it's the not right a, it's not a turn up knob. It's a turn down knob. I'm always starting at 10 and then sometimes you just got to dial back a little bit. Spring loaded. <laughs> just turn it down and goes back up. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned, uh, Frank, you mentioned that the album has 10 songs on it. And I wanted to bring that up, too, because I think it's perfectly paced. I think that's another reason I like it so much. It's like it leaves you wanting more. It's like when you listen to all those great albums from the 70s, the Aerosmiths, the Black Sabbaths or whatever, they all clocked in at nine or 10 songs before CDs made everybody able to overkill something. And I think the pacing of the album uh, does it a great service as well. You know, the songs are great, but I love the fact that 10 songs later, I'm repeating it again, you know, and I don't have time to really get bored with it. 
Yeah, I feel like that's a, that was a big problem when the CDs started making it. A, you know, I had all this extra space available, and I had to you know talk myself down from the mountain of trying to fill all that space. And right. just because just because you have it available doesn't mean you need to use it. You know, Amen. exactly. Uh, so, and we yeah. even there was a couple other song ideas we were sort of toying with that we just kind of at some point we were like, nah, this ten seems like they all fit right in with each other and. It didn't seem like every, everything else seemed to almost like upset the balance a little bit. Yeah. But I think some of it, too, is that early on, uh, early on, we decided on the covers that we wanted to do. And in a weird way, I feel like that sort of steered the whole project because, you know, Eddie's sort of said throughout his career, my Sharona is such a great pop song. I mean, who doesn't say that? I've said that before. It's such a great pop song. It's almost like untouchably great. And which is why when we had all this time off, we were like, fuck it, let's just give it a whack. And then we were able to get the guitarist from the knack on it. And Kicks is a band. I know Brian, you, I know both you guys are big Kicks fans. And Eddie and I are a fan of those early Kicks records, especially. And that song we chose, Heartache, which we ended up getting Brian, the guitarist from Kicks on, is in that pocket of sort of a My sharona E early 80s, one of those snappy little riff songs. And when we knew we were doing two of those, we kind of, it gave the overall thing like, okay, all the songs then got to have like some good power pop hooks. Like it sort of steered the thing away from being too punk rock or too garagey. Cause like we had to, the songs had to fucking stand up to my Sharona. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, there are some covers, obviously my Sharona is, is the most well-known, but some of them are a little more obscure. You mentioned the kick song. Um, I mean, those are the only two covers, the rest are all originals. Oh, okay. So, so tell me, how did you get, uh, how did you get the guitar player from the knack to, to, to be involved? Uh, well, I have this buddy of ours who does a, a lot of our website, uh, stuff and, uh, this fellow named Jim Bellotta and, uh, he's worked with the knack so he has a relationship with the guys from the knack and um knows burton and was telling me i can get you burton if you want i was like go ahead dude let's see what he's got and he was up for it and he did it and it was real cool the, the funny thing is, is we had a guitar solo on there already in place that was it's probably a little more ribbon <laughs> um, it's, it's by some dude in sweden right it, yeah, it was dennis post from war dennis post from warrior soul plays a rhythm guitar track on there and the very first small solo is both me and dennis sort of trading licks but then we gave the big one to burton but we had, didn't know if we were getting burton until the last minute so i told dennis like just throw me down a soul and he fucking nailed it like knocked it out of the park and it was so good <laughs> That when we got Burton's, we were almost like, geez, I don't know. I mean, it's great, but like the other, but I mean, of course we use Burton's and Burton's is smoking. And what we did is, you know, it, in the end, it has everyone on it because there's a little bit of me, a little bit of Dennis, a little bit of Burton. But man, Dennis, that original solo he did was just smoking. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a pretty huge feather in your cap if you get the guy that actually, you know, performed the song originally well yeah. same thing with brian for Ford. sure yeah you, and you, you know we're both big fans of brian's but eddie eddie has worked with brian because didn't you produce a rhino bucket record that brian's on yeah yeah i did yeah yeah that was a that was a real thrill to get to i was such a fan of brian Forsyth, man i used to stare at those <laughs> that first kicks record or the, maybe the second kicks record the one where they're all standing on the they're front cool kids yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, look yeah. at the way just the way Brian Forsyth's jeans used to fit him, you know. It's just like this guy's a <laughs> fucking rock star. Yeah. yeah. And there I was, you know, all these years <laughs> later producing the record that he's on. It was a real thrill and just having a 
a relationship with somebody that I looked up to like that as a kid, you know, it's just, it's real cool. Yeah. You know, that's, that's another name on the record that obviously caught my attention and I I know you guys are fans, but I thought it was great that you worked with him. And of course, you know, he's in Rhino Bucket. So, you know, besides kicks, you know, he has Rhino Bucket on his resume and he's, uh, he not, he not, not only played on, uh, uh, he played on a couple tracks on this record, right? He's all over it actually. Yeah. 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 So, what, like how, so how did that start? Did you ask him to be on one, and then it just kind of spilled over and just never stopped, or what, how did how did he end up on so many songs? I mean, kinda, we always yeah. kind of knew we wanted to have him on more than just the one song. So I just I just kind of kept badgering him, like, "Here's some more songs. When are you going to get your stuff on there? Come on, let's go." He <laughs> he takes a long time to do it. You know, he's did very. He, uh, did he particular. record? Did he record uh, on his gear at, at home? Or? Yeah, okay, both cool. him and Burton just because that was still in the middle of the pandemic. You know what I yeah, mean? Like okay. at that point, I think Kicks weren't touring. You know, obviously, right. like Knack don't tour anymore. But both those guys essentially did their parts to mixes. We sent them and then sent us the parts and we flew them in. Whereas Eddie and Mike Sessa, Jeff, we were all together at some in some different capacities in person. You, you, know? you ever notice how? You ever notice how Brian? Uh, he's either fo- uh, posting food porn or him sitting on an airplane. <laughs> yeah, you ever notice that? I, I, yeah, I had to stop following his Instagram feed because I just cannot take another shot of eggs and steak. Right. Well, and, but <laughs> see, that's the thing. He's yeah. not. It's not just calling it food porn is too general. What he's really into is duck eggs and red meat, and that's it. And I love wow. Brian, but like, and I, by the way, a duck egg is fine and red meat. Sure. sure. But like he'll post stuff where it's like a duck egg and a steak covered in meat sauce, covered in bacon bits with a side of bacon. And I'm just like, holy shit. How does he stay that skinny if he's eating <laughs> it's all some that? weird diet, but I just, I don't know. It doesn't, you know, I God think he's him. made he a, He's great. made a deal with the dark lore. I mean, he's, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's like a thousand years old and he looks 20. So yeah, he does. He's amazing. Yeah. 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 So it's working and he, for him. And but... he's, he's probably the nicest guy in the room when he, when you're with him too. He's such a sweetheart and he's such yes. a professional. Like he is a real, really good guitar player. Like every time I've been around him and just everything he plays, it's, it's perfect. It's hard to choose, you know, he's in love with his guitar. He really is. <laughs> he in is, love. He is yeah. really in love. He told me one time, I'm and, and then I'm doing job. this, and you know, it's probably not going to be that great of a payday. But I like to play. And then he, I think he said it again. I I really like to just play. So yeah, it's there, it's obvious. The the album, um, it's one of those ones where I have a new favorite song every time I listen to it, which is the mark of a great album. By the way, uh, we all know that. But I I like I really like knock my teeth out. And uh, top shelf shame is is the wow. I love that song, man. And it's so it's so melancholy and it's got that twang to it or something. It's not it's not my usual cup of tea, but the way you guys do it, it's just the music fits the the sentiment of the song really well. It's just awesome. I love it. Yeah, that one is my favorite uh, track. Like the way it all came together, um, that's my favorite one. Like that's the most 
realized uh, song. I feel like it's uh, the, just the whole spaghetti Western vibe of it is yeah, real cool. Yeah, yeah. And, Although, yeah, every, but what's funny, Eddie, if you recall, before we hit the uh, Kitten Robot Studios, that was the one you were like the most worried about. You remember at one point you were like, totally. oh, and that song is really not coming together. And I was like, just wait till we get in the studio. It'll come together. And then somehow when the drums came on and then we redid some acoustics and we redid a few things in this that were done at my place, a little lo-fi, and we kind of got better versions of things. And all of a sudden the song just like came to life. But there was a few songs that like until we did that last phase, didn't really, that one and Barroom uh, bar Brawl, like were, they were fine. They just didn't seem like they were as locked in until Mike Sessa jumped in and locked all those drums in. And then all of a sudden we stacked the horns on and, things started locking in that almost needed live drums that just weren't quite happening when it was all to like a click and uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's why I like Top Shelf Shame so much is because I was so disappointed in it originally. <laughs> like when, when I made it up, I thought, well, this is a cool little song. I, I like this. And then when we recorded, I was like, ah. But I, then I, it, at, at the last minute, it came together really nice. I I'll love tell, it. I'll tell you the funny thing, uh, Dave, about Knock My Teeth Out is that uh, I wrote that song after I actually knocked my teeth out. Um, I had played a Cheetahs gig and I'd already had a, I'd already basically chipped a tooth at a gig long ago, bad enough that at some point I needed to have it capped. And then I got this cap in and just one of the very last gigs before everything shut down, the microphone popped me and the cap came out. And I was like, and, and then right after that, I lost my health insurance, FYI. And it, I went on for like months and months with missing a tooth. But, um, when it first happened and I got, and they pulled the, you know, they basically carve your tooth down to the thing that they're going to cap it with. I came home with a missing tooth and a big mouthful of Novocaine, wrote and demoed the song and sang the vocal track while on Novocaine missing a tooth. So that's why it's very punk rock. Because I'm like barely able to pronounce any of the words. <laughs> uh, but the song came together and we turned it into sort of a duet to us. But the original version was literally recorded right after I knocked my teeth out. Well, now I like it even more. I mean, that's, this is great stuff, man. Inspiration comes from all different I have places. To do huh? the shameless plug yeah. here and say, so you you had literally broken teeth. I, I'm, oh. I'm sorry, so sorry. That was that was good. It was coming. It was coming. So um, another another one of my favorites is uh, "You Can't Take It Back." Um, I love that song. I love the lyrics in it. I love the the sentiment. I always love a song that expresses something that I would like to say, but somebody else is saying it better because they spent the time with the words and they they really captured the 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 feeling and the emotion. And I love that song because it's sort of it's sort of a self deprecating sort of type song or whatever. Tell me a little bit about that one. That one I wrote with uh, the original version because a lot of these, like basically, there was a batch of there was a couple songs that Eddie and I wrote together, or collaborated on, and then we each came to the table with a few other songs that we wrote or had been, you know, had lying around essentially. Uh, and can't take it back is one that I wrote with this guy named Chip Wilson, who I worked with at a previous gig. And uh, Chip was just this really good guitar player and really good songwriter, but he wasn't necessarily like a pro musician the way that Eddie and I are. He doesn't have a band or an album out. He's not up there, you know, hawking his musical wares. But we had written a bunch of tunes together, and that was one of them. And the 
idea generally is I, I wanted to keep it sort of vague enough as to what it was about. So if you if it if it felt like it was a song about like, you know, love, you could plug that emotion into it. If you felt like it was a song about saying something that you wished you could take back, you could plug that into it. What it's actually about is I had this boss essentially at a former job who was a complete bag of dicks and just could not been a bigger, more abusive, you know, um, bully essentially. And he and I had gotten into some heated shit, like after work in a parking lot, like one of the only times where I've ever actually almost like punched out my fucking boss or anyone that I've ever worked or anyone for that matter. You guys know me. I'm a chill dude. Yeah. This guy was so like, it was so ugly. And so we had some words and he freaking, you know, like he was my boss. So he took me to HR and had me written up and like, it got ugly. And I'll tell you this, Another silver lining to the pandemic is that I'm confident I would have been fired from that job for clocking that motherfucker or that he would have been or that he would have essentially had me removed for knowing that it was going to I mean, it was getting bad. And so (laughs) so that song is actually me talking to that dude, basically saying, like, I said that shit and I can't take it back and I don't want to take it back, you know? Yeah, I, and even I at the end, when it's like there's a time machine, all that shit is basically saying like, yeah, if you could give me a time machine, fuck, I'd still, I ain't taking it back, baby. I think that's <laughs> why I like it because I think it's an emotion we've all shared at one time, whether it's a boss or a you know boyfriend, girlfriend, teacher, whatever, some authority figure, or just anyone in your life, you know. That's what it was written from that point of view, but I also kind of thought that I, it should it should work as a relationship song too. So I kept some of it a little on the vague side purposely just so that you could plug in your own thing. Cause I didn't know that everyone's going to have that backstory that I would have hating your boss that much, you know? Yeah. But I feel like it's a, it's a tick. If you're, if you write lyrics or, you know, do your best to come up with the best shit that is going to evoke emotion, you, you know, it's like a tick. You, it, that dude needed to be told and mm-hmm. the way that you needed to tell it was in your song. Right. And so <clears throat> that's the best way to share. That's why I think David reacted. It's, I'm sure it's the way I would react. Honestly, I haven't heard the record enough to uh, to grab on anything yet. But, dude, it's a tick. You have to. You had that dude had to be told. It's unfortunate that he crybabied you all the way to HR and had you. You know. Yeah, no uh, doubt, no doubt. There's, there's a line. That's almost chicken. That's almost chicken shit. Oh, believe me. I mean, literally, dude. This guy, we we like had it out, and then we kind of calmed down. And he's like, you know, man, I'm glad you and I we we talked about this man to man. We're totally good. And then he literally the next morning went to HR and brought me in, and the whole thing. And I was just like, you motherfucker, you goddamn backstabbing. That's the, son of a bitch. You know what I mean? Chicken, but I, but I still chicken, couldn't say any of these things. I had to sit there in a meeting and just be like. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess I am pretty terrible. Yeah. I guess I just don't listen to authority. I guess this guy is totally right. And I'm just, you know, there, there's a line in that song that I love. Uh, it's, uh, you popped all my balloons. And, and, and I, I love that because, you know, a lot of the song is, is, is more serious in, in its tone, but, uh, and, and popping your balloons is something a kid would be upset about, well, right? Well, and, and that's because I wanted that imagery to also sort of like throw in like, this is all so stupid. Like, we're just yeah. little kids fucking on the play yard. Like, give me a break. Yes. Like, I, li- I like that. Dumb. I like yes. that take on it, though, that you're that you're being like fucking ridiculous. But at the same time, 
and you know Mellencamp, I fired authority, authority song, right? <clears throat> and authority right, right. always wins. That that's a that's a play into the whole thing too, because you could have clocked the guy and just walked away. Yeah, but I would have lost was... my job, possibly my career. And that you, if I clocked him, you, if he called HR on me for for raising my voice, and imagine if I put my yeah. hands on him, it would have oh, been you, a, pol- a police incident. <laughs> you, know? you, you played it right, but usually you <laughs> embellish the lyric, and you kind of didn't. Sure, you sure, used it yeah, as yeah. gas for for the rest of the emotion. Right. So that's great. Tell tell me about the song Tattletale. That's another standout for me. Is that you, uh, Eddie? That- yeah, that's a song that I made up with a buddy of mine and uh, I think we might have actually still been in high school when I made that up. That's wow. from the it's from like my first real band that I had in high school and uh, So that was just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, just last year. It wasn't in the 1900s at all. No. Um yeah, so it's it's an old old song, but I I always liked it and thought, you know, it, it never really got released or anything. So uh you know, there's, there's, there's always gold to be mined in the past. Yeah. That, that's another, I mean, I could just go through track by track. I mean, that's why I said, Frank, I think it's my favorite thing that you've been involved in since the street walk and cheat is it's 10, 10 songs of just, you know, it, they're all great. It's there's power pop, there's cow punk, there's, you know, there's just straight ahead rock and roll. Uh, there, the, the barroom brawl song kind of has the, uh, cheap trick. She's tight. Uh, riff in there um, it's a great it's a great album so uh it's, it's who titled this thing because obviously you weren't uh marketing this <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well the title wait, by the way folks is, again is motherfucking rock and roll that's the title of the album so you thank find god. it we, we, thank god it's we, we had that. that song already we had the song already and uh, when we were going to title the record you know we're trying to come up with something clever or whatever and i was just like you know what this record, this this song should be the first song, and it should be named after the first song on the record. It's so simple; it's always the best way to do it, you know. Just, just, and it's so it has some motherfucker in it. So what? No one's buying the records anymore anyway, so no one gives a shit. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> and don't I, have to... I agree. I I think the record is real, real cool, and and I'm really, really happy with it. I've actually listened to it a lot. And, uh, you know, I only do that with, uh, you know, stuff that I really dig. So uh, I, I feel like it's a real celebration of all the things that Frank and I like about rock music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I love that you say that because a lot of times artists are so involved with the music that by the time they get done with the album, they're sick of it and they don't really, you know, give it any, you know, further listening until a year or two later, maybe come back and sort of right. revisit it. But the fact that you're saying that... Uh, sort of validates what I've been saying all along. I just think it's 10 great songs one after another. So, right. Uh, and, I think it, because it came together. So at the, at the, at the 11th hour, everything really sort of gelled. And uh, so I'm, I'm still kind of surprised at how good it is. You know, it's, it's still a, it's fresh to me. It's, I didn't labor over it so long to where I just, I'm sick of it. Yeah. So, and, and I, I want you guys to talk about the, uh, the the brass players on this album because i think they add so much to the songs um who's who's playing sax and who's playing it's, it's just one guy it's it's uh jeff yaton he's in the street walking cheetahs he's a guy that when when the cheetahs uh started you know we we were together in the 90s into the early 2000s and that's when eddie and i originally met and did a lot of shows on the road together cheetahs broke up for a few years and when we got back together um 
we'd always would have sax players like get up, like Angelo Moore used to sit in with us a lot. And this guy, Vince Megaruni from Mike Watts band and different folks that would jump Aaron from Prima Donna. Um, but no one was ever like, like a, a member and it was never a regular thing. It was like just kind of, and, but we did put it on the record. So it was kind of like that sound, that mix of sax with punk rock. Um, we met Jeff along the way, right when we first started doing some touring again around 2014 or 15. And he was just a chill dude and he lived near us and easy to work with, always available, never started any shit, wasn't an asshole, wasn't a drunk, wasn't a drug, drug addict. And in a weird way, and I'm sure, Eddie, you know this dynamic, sometimes having someone in your band or getting in your organization that's just like a way chill dude and a, it, it adds a little balance. Somehow, like we'd all been together for so long that in a weird way, adding this fifth member that was a new guy with this different energy and didn't have all of the backstory together like we did was a, a, a good thing for us and it added a different sound to the band. So when Eddie and I... Uh, and he's all over the Cheetah's last record, One More Drink. He's on every song. So uh, we made him a full-time member. So when Eddie and I uh, started making this record, there was a few songs right away that we were like, well, Barroom Brawl, if we're going to do this sort of rockabilly sort of vibe, you know, it's got to have a big horns and stuff. And we just once we had him on one song, it's sort of like Brian. We just were like, hey, you want to play on this one and this yeah. one and this other one? You know, we just kept yeah. throwing him songs. Milking it. But he would just stack his parts. It's all him. Well, it, it it definitely adds a lot to the record. I think that's one of the things I like about it is it's got this uh, it, it's rock and roll, but there's a lot going on, you know, as far as you don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because I'm a heavy metal guy. I don't always think of wind instruments as being part of the picture. You know, once in a while you hear Steven Tyler blow a harmonica or something or Michael Monroe or something like that. But uh, playing sax, but you know, if you think about it and you listen to those songs, that that adds so much energy and vibe to it. It really kind of adds the extra kick that puts it over the top. You know, makes it exciting yeah. and fun. It gives it that glam rock sort of vibe that I yeah really yeah like. maybe yeah maybe that's what I'm trying to explain here. But yeah, it definitely it, it adds something to it. So I wanted to give a shout to him. And Mike Sessa uh, is your longtime drummer in Streetwalking Cheetahs, right? Yeah, Mike and Mike's been in the band in the Cheetahs since uh, you know almost day one. My brother was the original drummer in the first handful of gigs, but as soon as we started making any recordings or going on the road, Mike was the drummer and has been ever since. And uh, he was in the Joneses, he was in the Vice Principals, he played with Rosie Flores, he played with Cracker. He's filled in actually for a little while for Reverend Horton Heat, I think, when the original drummer was out for a few gigs or whatnot. Um, you know, he's just been around forever and a great drummer and he can play any style and the guy is just a rock. And much like I was saying about Jeff, our sax players, Mike's got a very chill personality. Like he is there to play good drums. He is not there to party. He's not there really even to socialize and fuck around. Like he's a very businessy kind of guy. I think when I was younger, and more, you know, like, like it always bothered me when I was younger that Mike was so detached from everything. Cause it's like, I was always so like passionate. It's like, I want my guys to be like a gang and blah, blah, blah. And now as I've gotten older, like I really appreciate Mike's like business, like sort of thing. And I'm kind of like, I don't need my guys to be a gang. Get the fuck away from me. Just let's come in, make the music and then go home. I got stuff to do. You know what I mean? So it's like, now I love that Mike just comes in and just, he is there to lay down the goddamn beat. No muss, no fuss. 
delightful man to be around, but he's not there to party and jizzy J. He doesn't want to go out after the show. He doesn't give a fuck about what you're doing on the. He doesn't care if you're famous. You know what I mean? Like he's just there to do the job. Does this sound familiar, Jason? Yeah, I think that there's a time. (laughs) I think that there's a time. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, all biz. So the the uh, the you know there comes a time when you when you notice that you need to be surrounding yourself with people like that because you want the record and the song to be in this and the set to have this monster thing go well, on and professionalism and then, and, you know yeah, i mean like when it's you, okay yeah. to have a little reckless yeah. energy and a little punk sure. rockiness but like i don't want to go up there and think that these guys that i'm playing with don't know the fucking material or some of uh, the drummer might drop the ball or some shit like that i mean i'm used to much like eddie like i've played with a lot of great drummers like i can't play with shitty drummers anymore it's just no. i can't i won't be in a band well thing. if if your drummer sucks your band sucks right totally the good thing about mike is that when he's in, when he was in the studio like i could be really direct with him and say you know this is not working it needs to be more like this and instead of getting butthurt about it and being all attached to his part he's like oh okay what do i gotta do he's super yeah. pro and he's not he's not emotionally attached to what he's playing which is like frank said like when you're young that's what you want you want everybody all emotionally invested in in the music that you're making together but as you get older you just want people to do what you want them to do (laughs) now i'm like mike is really good at that yeah now i'm like hey don't be so emotional man just fucking it's just music before i was like the it's music man it's music and i'm just (laughs) like hey man we we all know i mean that's i think one of the reasons why eddie and i probably enjoyed working on this project was that like both of us do have this mentality I hate band meetings. I hate, I really don't even want to be at rehearsal, except obviously rehearsal's necessary to do certain, you're going to make songs and records, you got to rehearse. But like, all, I kind of just want to show up and have everyone know the parts. And sure, if, you know, there might be a little, this, it all comes together. But like, you know, I don't know, man. Like, it, we barely would talk about stuff. Like, I'd be like, hey, want to make a video? He'd be like, sure. I'd be like, hey, we're going to do it like this. He'd be like, that's good. What about this? I'd go, sure. You know, the songs we liked are the ones on the record. The songs that we didn't like didn't make the record. There wasn't any arguments or band meetings. We didn't have to fucking talk about shit. It usually was like a, a text or a quick phone call, and then we'd move on to the next thing. That's called finishing each other's sentences. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's yeah. important. I, I, yeah. I've been working like that for so long, I forgot that there were even bands that still had band meetings. And the Super Suckers have, haven't had a real rehearsal and. 20 years you know so we just yeah (laughs) we just have this telepathy you know where we're just like this is what needs to happen everybody knows and and frank and i have the same sort of relationship it just it's real easy and it has to be in order to work with me Uh, (laughs) if you you, you make it difficult on me i'm not going to work with it so right yeah um eddie i wanted to ask you uh super suckers are based out of seattle is that correct yeah that's kind of where we that's where we got our that's where we got our start. Nobody lives there anymore. Okay. Well, the the question w- that I wanted to ask is, uh, you were around, uh, you know, obviously when the whole grunge explosion started. So what was it like from your perspective being in, uh, you know, the super suckers uh, doesn't fit that mold. So you're, you're in a band that's in a scene that is a different type of music that's gaining national attention. What, what was that like from your perspective, just sort of watching that, you know, blow up right there on your home turf? Well, it was the bottom line of it. It was, it was thrilling. You know, it was really cool to see guys, you know, 
guys you've hung out with on a regular basis getting on MTV and becoming like rock stars, you know, and, and you just thought, well, it's, it's probably going to happen to us if we just keep doing what we do. Of course, it never did. But, you know, it was still it, when we st- we started this band in Tucson, Arizona, and we moved to Seattle in 1989 thinking we're going to be the best band they've ever seen. Who's from Seattle? Nobody. And we get there and there's all these bands already going on, you know, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Mudhoney, all these bands are already there. And we had no idea. And we, we, we were like, we were the interlopers on their scene, you know, but everybody was super welcoming, welcoming to us. And, you know, it was a real supportive environment. It wasn't all backbiting and uh, gossipy. It was just, everybody's real happy for everybody else. And, everybody was equally shocked that, you know, there was such a spotlight on Seattle at the time. And, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of negativity came out of it, you know, with people getting hooked on drugs and all that sort of stuff. But uh, that was going to happen whether they got famous or not, I suppose. But, hey, Eddie, yeah, I've, it was, I've always wondered, why did you guys go to Seattle and like what, because at that point there wasn't like a big scene in Seattle when you first got there was, I mean, there was a scene, but like what, why Seattle versus LA friend or San Francisco? Yeah, the, the move for the move for a band from Tucson was to go to LA. If you were like a real band, you would go to LA and try to make it there. But we were so contrary and just, you know, young and dumb. We, we literally flipped a coin between Seattle and new Orleans and with uh, Seattle won the coin toss and we moved to Seattle. Just, we had a buddy who had moved up to Seattle and he told us how great it is to live there like you can wear your leather jacket into june here dude it's awesome you know and living in the desert it's that's not really appealing so yeah it was just it seemed so opposite to where we were living that it was that that was the appeal more than you know thinking we'd go there and make a mark for ourselves or anything had you guys gone to la had the black super suckers or whatever your version of the band was at that point ever gone and like done la gigs and even tried your hand on the you know the sunset strip or the raji scene or whatever at that time no the band i had before we started the super suckers uh was this glam rock band the band that uh tattletale came from uh was this band called Thai pink and uh we uh we had done some la gigs and it's kind of we got interest from an a&m uh a&r guy and uh, it was the same guy who wound up signing soundgarden and he was looking at us and Soundgarden at the same time. And we were like, oh, here it is. We're going to be, it's going to happen. And it didn't. He chose Soundgarden over us. But who, who did you play? Sorry, guys. I did that. This piques my interest. Who, no, now, do you cool. remember? Who no, did like Ty it. Pink play with in LA? Like, what bills were you on? Were you opening up for like Tough and Pretty Boy Floyd? Or were you on like the Hangman Lions junkyard, and hangman, Junkyard yeah. scene? Like, what was Ty Pink doing at that time? Yeah, we were more aligned with the hangman, but we actually did a show with Fishbone, I think, in LA. Wow. And um and then we did a show with the hangman as well. And uh and and the hangman came to Tucson and played and uh yeah, we were we were really big into the hangman. Yeah. Still am. Yeah, they rule. Totally yeah. rule. I love that band. Brian uh, yeah, I just, I, God. Yeah, absolutely. I love I love everything about him. His voice, his lyrics, his uh, uh, his persistence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, and still putting out great stuff. That Cactusville record is amazing. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain about the whole Seattle thing because I, I I know that you know Pearl Jam obviously became huge and Eddie Vedder's this huge 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 rock star. But I've always appreciated the fact that Eddie Vedder 
is still very supportive of he's been supportive of the super suckers i know he's a big uh supporter of zeke and you know you don't usually find guys at that level that will still you know attach their name to their their roots and their punk rock barroom band days and all that stuff so i've always thought that was really cool yeah eddie vetter has been a great friend and a super uh, supportive guy and I wish I liked Pearl Jam. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't like that music. It doesn't speak to me at all. It never has. And when they got famous, I was like, I don't even hear songs. It doesn't. The the way they do it, it just sounds. Everything sounds made up. <laughs> I know. I know music is made up. I know we're all making it up. But theirs always really sounded made up. Like it never sounded finished to me. It still doesn't. I st- I just don't get it. Wow. So so. Do you feel like there's it's lacking emotion or something that makes it genuine or 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 what? It sounds to me like there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Like somebody's making up the guitar part and somebody else is making up words that go with it. Like it doesn't sound like it's coming from one singular uh, mind, which which I like when I hear a song. Like I want to hear, you know, when you hear Cheap Trick, you hear, okay, that's Rick Nielsen. Rick Nielsen's making all that shit up and it's coming from his, his perspective, his easy top. It's all Billy Gibbons. You know, you just, you, you just hear like it's coming from one guy and very seldom does it work where you can tell like, it's okay. A guitar player made up this riff and the singer's doing this on top of it. And it just, you know, the Rolling Stones do a good job of that, but you know, I don't, I don't think it works for everybody. And I, I, I mean, it's just my perception. No, obviously, yeah, I'm it. in the minority. I'm totally wrong because I really like know, everybody yeah. loves those guys. I really like the band that they were before that, Mother Love Bone. And I thought that that going just to what you said, Eddie, that was a band where like that was Andrew Wood's vision. Mm-hmm. Like he had this total Freddie Mercury kind of you know meets David Lee Roth sort of vibe, love it or meets Elton John. And I felt like that band had just so much personality. And then when they came out with Vetter, you know, some of the riffage was there and stuff. But it just like you said, it sort of became this jam band sort of vibe in a way. Like, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I, I yeah, like it. Sounds like I, a I jam band to me. Yeah, that's the best. That's the best way, Eddie. When you were describing that, it's it sounds like, well, here's my doodle and here's my doodle. Let's stack them on top of each other and make records out of each other's doodles. Just dogpile doodle exactly (laughs) (laughs) there's a pile doodle yeah there's a lyric in there somewhere yeah like the uh (laughs) that's the title of the next frank and spaghetti album or the next pearl jam record (laughs) but jam band is basically dogpile doodle yeah yeah yeah. so since we've got Jason and Eddie in the room today, I want to also talk about this. Uh, there's oh, a yeah. glare on my camera. Which, actually, I'm on that too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right. three of you. Yeah. So I'm 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 referencing the Heirs of the Dog uh, album, which is a basically a tribute album, I guess you would call it, to Nazareth. Um, and obviously the title is alluding to the hair of the dog record. So basically a bunch of musicians got together and remade the hair of the dog classic Nazareth album. So tell me a little bit about how you guys got involved in this and your participation in it and, uh, how that came about. 
uh, well, basically this fellow Joey Killingsworth reached out to me uh, a while back about it. And he was so persistent that I just finally relented. Uh, but it's the second time I worked with him. He uh, did this uh, Black Oak, Arkansas tribute record before. And I was involved in that. And, uh, you know, and then he asked me to do this. And I was like, well, if I can do Love Hurts, I'll do it. And he's like, okay, done. So, uh, and, and then he got Ryder to sing a duet with me and it turned it into this really beautiful thing. Like, it was yeah. just me singing it at home on my computer, you know, and I just sent it off to him and I didn't really think about it. And it, it came back to me. It was like, wow, this is actually a real, real good thing. Same sort of thing that happened with Frank. I was like, wow, you guys are doing really good shit over there. It's, it's a pleasure to be involved with that. I yeah. met I met Joey through Thor, actually, the heavy metal guy Thor, because uh, I had produced the Thor record last year um, that Joey sang some backing vocals on. So I met him through that project. And then I'm also good friends with Ryder and uh, Blaine from National Pussy. So out of the blue, when they were doing Love Hurts and they also appear on um, the song Hair of the Dog, um, she called me up and she goes, Hey, you know that chorus and the son of a bitch chorus and hair of the dog. And I go, yeah. And she goes, can you hit those notes? And I was like, yeah, I can hit those notes. She goes, okay, can you jump on this song? Cause none of us can hit the note. And so I literally on that song, the only thing you hear me on is, you know, son of a bitch. I like that. I basically just hit, I doubled Blaine and they just used me to sort of like, you know, hit these fucking crazy ass notes. And then, uh, on the other one, Love Hurts, I think I sang the third part that just briefly comes in at the end of each chorus. There's like a ooh, 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 and like there's a third part that comes in. So I just did like some session vocal work on that. I actually, during COVID, got, was getting a lot of like session work. So just stuff like that where someone would be like, can you sing harmonies here, or play keyboards on this or whatever. There's a band out of Sweden called Shameless that I've been recording a ton of stuff with this glam band. And that's how I met, and I met Warrior Soul, you know, and did stuff with them and this band City Kids. I've been recording with tons of European bands, just backing vocals and keyboards for the most part. I'm still here, guys. I just got to grab something right here. Yeah. So, Jason, uh, tell us how you got involved, because you're on this as well. Um, It's similar to what Eddie said about, you know, Joey reached out and uh, kept reaching out. And, uh, <laughs> and bless his heart, you know, yeah, uh, because I, he, he, it's a no brainer when you hear me sing that I, that I love Dan McCafferty. So, and, yeah, and everything right. Nazareth does. Um, I think I broke some blood vessels cutting that vocal track. <laughs> that stuff's hard, man. He hits yeah. hella high notes, you Changing know, times. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I was doing it sort of in between things. Cause I was making about three other records at the same time. And between, uh, you know, between the four of us here, you know, I think I could have done a better job at it, but it was kind of like what Eddie uh, said or a second ago about how I, I just sang it on my computer and, and sent it in. And it was, it was at, I've, I've actually upgraded my recording gear since uh, I made that recording, but yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of had to because, and then this kind of uh, trickles down back to Frank about how I was getting a lot of offers during the lockdown, uh, right after that, so to speak, that, uh, um, you know, we're just coming in, cover songs and videos. I mean, I was learning how to, you know, like use what's on, what's preloaded on my 
store-bought laptop to make a a rock video clip for them to like edit into a full production. And I did one uh, for these guys out of, um, oh God, where are they from? Um, Little Rock. And uh, it was kind of a, these Doom guys, oh God, what are they called? Dead Bird, I think is what they're right. called. And and I did, a, I did a, a Kiss song and I have a full jean costume and they talked me into putting it on. Oh yeah, so, yeah. So wearing my full jean and the wig and everything. it was ridiculous. But uh, and I, and the vocals for the track that we made the video for were once again back to it's kind of all Joey's fault that I uh, updated all my gear. I got a different mic and a preamp and stuff. But I'm well, glad I did because it, it's you know I used I, I I'm I'm glad that we're all busy even if it's singing someone else's shit. You know? Yeah, well, I, yeah. I'm not usually a, a huge fan of tribute albums, but I think this one was really well done. And if you're going to tackle a classic, you better do it well. And well, I think and it had it, it had a well. member of Nazareth actually playing on it. True. So there's something to say about that. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. Joey and, worked. And should, Joey worked hard on that, getting getting that together. Obviously. So. Yeah, and we should probably give a shout to uh, Jeff Smith at Saustex Records. Uh, I think. He, yeah, did he put this out? Yeah, I think so. Jeff uh, Jeff Smith, who I'm a big fan of because of Sons of Hercules. <laughs> right. Well, uh, once again, a, a shout out to Joey for sort of being the the magnet there and uh, that kind of connected everyone. Um, I want to shout out to to Pincus. Those Pincus is yeah. on there, and yeah, he, yeah, he probably cut his stuff from uh, Asheville. I think he's in Asheville now. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, Eddie, we've we've had Frank on the show before, and I think we've asked him this question, but we haven't had you before. So uh, I wanted to ask you what what's the what's the single most moment that got you hooked on rock and roll? What's the album or the concert or the television appearance or whatever that made you go, aha, this is what I want to do? Well, it's a, appropriate for pushing this record because it, it's my Sharona. Uh -huh. And that's, I, I heard that song on the radio and it must've been 78 or 79, whenever it came out, I was, I was a young boy. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, it's 12 or something like that. And um, uh, maybe 11, I can't remember how old I was when I heard it, but uh, it was instant. Like I instantly had to know who this was. You know, I'd never been like that with an artist before. I'd like, you know, I liked music. I liked a lot of Elvis as a young kid and I uh, was pretty into that. But um it wasn't until I heard my Sharona where I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. 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 I remember well, it, hearing that song as well. Uh, we're probably all about the same age and there was no denying that song, even though, you know, my taste at that age probably leaned a little more heavy metal, but there's just no denying that song. You know, it's just genius. Well, yeah, guitar, I started out as, guitar as like riff a new wave there. kind of guy. You started yeah. off as a new wave guy. Yeah, I didn't really like heavy metal. I, I didn't like Kiss as a kid. I liked Blondie and the Knack and the Cars and uh, that sort of Devo even spoke yeah. to me more than like Kiss or Aerosmith or yeah. Wow. I was late. I was late to the game. Uh, I didn't know who ACDC was until Back in Black was already out. You know, it's like I heard uh, "You Shook Me All Night Long" on the radio, and I thought well, this is a great song. This must be Rod Stewart. 
<laughs> we called up, we called up the radio station asking who's that what's that new rod stewart song and they're like what and what about shaking you all night long and like that's not rod stewart that's acdc you idiot and i'm like oh i i didn't know anything about the whole bond scott era which you know now is for me is one of the is probably the greatest rock and roll achievement of all time is those acdc records with with bond scott they yeah. they i listen to them today and they they still sound just as good to me as they ever did i don't think i would i don't think i would know what to do with when writing or performing a rock and roll song if it wasn't for bon scott in the in those years of acd for sure i mean just the way he delivers those lyrics and how you know it's like acdc was amazing without bon scott but with bon scott the lyrics actually meant something yeah you know whereas whereas now they don't mean anything and it doesn't matter lyrics don't have to mean anything for the song to be great but when they do actually mean something and the song is great, it just, it's a whole nother ball game. Well, and, and Bond yes. had a, had a serpentine with his voice as well as his stage persona that, that matches no other. He's like uh, this glam rock, rock singer who's showing you what heavy metal is going to be. And right, like, yeah. I feel like David Lee Roth had that similar effect. And it's just rare when you have this, and short-lived. I mean, you could even say that about Roth to an extent, that you know, there's this handful of years where fucking untouchable as to the influence that this, I mean, it's evil genius, what's going on with Bond, whether he's aware or not. And you could say the same about Roth. And there's only a few other people. Uh, Steven Tyler is, is one, and you could say Janis Joplin, which I guess those are intertwined anyway, because uh, Steven wears her clothes, dresses like her, and tries to fucking sing like her too. Yeah, and No one right. really ever puts that together. But that whole, put all that in a box, and that's kind of like what, I wouldn't know what to do if it wasn't for stuff like that. And I really think it, you know, I probably heard the first Van Halen around the first time I heard like uh you know, let there be rock. So I'm hearing this shit going, holy moly, these guys are a genesis of something. And my young mind wasn't able to say the word genesis yet, but yeah. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Uh, Van Halen was the man that got me into heavy metal for sure. And uh, you know, I, I feel, I feel bad for Eddie Van Halen and his legacy because it was so tarnished by every other guitar player that wanted to be like him, you know, just that all that eighties wankery was born from, his influence you know, genius yeah. yeah 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 but i i i think that you know god rest his soul he i'm sure he's resting easy because he may have inspired a bunch of copycats but nobody ever came close and we all know that so uh, sure. but i do like I, I like your point eddie there there's there's music uh you were talking about bon scott and the lyrics and how that's just the icing on the cake of an otherwise already great band and i think there's a couple others like that where even if the if the lyrics weren't great, I would still listen to the music. But because the lyrics are so great, that's just makes that's the that's the icing on the cake. And you you would have to throw Lemmy from Motorhead in there. You'd have to throw Phil from Thin Lizzy in there. Yeah. Um, we've referenced Bon Scott. We've referenced uh, Steven Tyler. But when those guys or girls, whoever is able to put some wordplay on top of some killer riffs, that's just golden, man. That's that's what makes it, you know, shine and rise above all the other stuff. For and sure. I think, 
and you know, and not to blow smoke, but I think there's some of that on this record, this motherfucking rock and roll record. You know, like I said, uh, you can't take it back. There's something in those lyrics that speaks to me. I like how when David says, when Dave says the title, both of these guys light up like a Christmas. They <laughs> <laughs> say motherfucking rock and roll. See, I see I, both of these guys. Just, we both, <laughs> we're, big, we're both big fans of cursing. There's no doubt about that. I, I, oh, well, I think they did this on yeah. purpose because they knew that every review is they're going to chuckle to themselves every time they see that in print or they hear somebody speak it you know they're <laughs> those motherfuckers they have to say motherfucker <laughs> evil genius yeah. see there yeah. it is the evil genius exactly yeah no doubt so um let's talk briefly about your respective bands what's next for if anything street walking cheetahs and what's next if anything for super suckers as far as the cheetahs go, uh, we put out a record back in March called One More Drink. Uh, and it's available in all the formats that people buy music these days. It's vinyl and CD, but it's also on all the digital platforms and stuff. Uh, we did a bunch of gigs uh, over the summer when things kind of started to open up. Eddie and I were doing some acoustic gigs sort of as the record was f getting finished up and right before our record came out, we did a bunch of gigs together. And then right at the end of the summer, we got to play this cool festival called the SoCal Hoedown with the Super Suckers and the Cheetahs and Nashville Pussy and Throw Rag and Fishbone and so many of the bands we've been talking about here today. Uh, and then since then, we've just taken the rest of the year off and then we're gonna get back into action next year and probably do another record and just do more shows. What about Super Suckers, Eddie? Uh, well, we're just going to get back at it. I guess we're going to start up next year. We uh, we had just put out a brand new record when COVID shut everything down. So our whole process sort of got interrupted. You know, my, my process is, you know, make up new songs, record them, go out and play them until you're sick of them. And then new ones start coming up again. You know, it's like, and now I'm just sort of sitting on this last batch of tunes and never had gotten to really get sick of them yet. So but, you know, I've already started kind of making up new songs, which is a, a good thing. Is yeah, every time I finish a record, I worry, okay, that's it. I don't have any more songs in me. I, I, there's, there's no way. The world does not need another rock and roll song. Uh, but, you know, more always wind up coming. So that's, that's, that's been the blessing of my life. So The world always needs another rock and roll song. A any, chance, any chance you guys would tour to promote this record? Tour together? Well, we've done Yeah, some there's a chance. Yeah, we've done shows together, uh, but the ones we did where we played material off this record were acoustic because it was still sort of at the end of COVID. So it wasn't really functional or functionally possible to like get a band on the road. Now that uh, you could, Eddie just got off the road with the Super Suckers, right? Yeah, you were just in Austin yeah. on Halloween. And, yeah. Yeah. and all the shows went off without a hitch, right? No cancellations, people having a good time. No one fucking, you know, passed out and, you know, uh, died of COVID, so it was, that's a, a good, it was a dip our toes in the water sort of experience. We just looked like ten shows to just check and it, it went, out, and it went well, right? So yeah, it did. That bodes well for more super suckers. Our dip in the show, dip our toe in the you know water shows went well too. So I think as we're looking at next year, all this stuff seems more possible. So uh, whether and Eddie and I do more shows together or make another record together, it's really more just how our schedules and stuff, you know. 
Normally, Eddie plays like what two hundred and thirty shows a year, so it's hard to pin him down. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was much yeah. easier for me to pin him down over this last year. So we'll just see how the next year plays out. <laughs> I'm like yeah. a shark; I got to keep swimming to survive. So yeah. I know the super suckers are always on the road. Well, Uh-oh. and then they'll do days off, and then he'll fill them with acoustic shows on his own. So I'm like, oh, they the super suckers played. 210 shows this year eddie played 238 shows you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah well i i hope that uh things allow you guys to get out and and promote this record a little bit you know touring wise i would love to go see this stuff live i would love to get brian foresight on guitar like i would like to basically take me brian eddie jeff the sax player and mike sessa and that would be a cracking band man yeah. I, I, I bet brian would do it I bet Brian oh, I bet would do it, yeah. and I know Mike Sessa would do it. It really just becomes, I mean, honestly, it really becomes like, you know, it's all fucking how much money we're going to lose doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And back in the day, you'd look at a tour, and it's about how much money you're going to make. Now it's more like how much are we going to lose? So I think it just becomes like, hey, do we both have some time, and can we do it for the kind of money we'd get? Because it's it's not the suckers, it's not the cheetahs. Hopefully someone that values both of our careers goes, oh, it's even better. It's both those guys and we could get decent money. But, you know, on the other hand, someone might go, I don't know, it's like a new band to me. And, you know, is it worth it for us to go roll out to middle America to make, you know, a couple hundred bucks to, to do a bar? Like, probably not. But if we could, you know, maybe do a South by Southwest run or a little West Coast run, something that, you know, makes some financial sense and we're not just going to like lose our ass on it, then yeah, it definitely sounds fun, especially if we could get all those great guys and put together like a dope little super group, man. That I was going to say it It could be, you could you could sort of like look at the finance end of, uh, of it being a vacation. Well, yeah, yeah, that's and true. whatever right. you lost would have been like, oh, this. Let's call this margaritas, and let's call this tacos, <laughs> and let's call you know, and then you try to just ride it off. Whatever you know, what I'm saying. I will say Eddie's Topo Chico bill. Your rider on Topo Chico must be out of control this way. This guy <laughs> it eats is. a lot. That's insane. Yeah. I, w- I would like to see a super sucker street walking cheetahs and broken teeth gig. And then you and Eddie, Fr- Frank and Eddie somewhere like doing a acoustic, uh, motherfucking rock and roll sort of intermission kind of vibe. Well, or maybe, a way, I mean, maybe a way that it would make sense now that you mentioned that, cause I hadn't really thought about that would just be like, you do, I mean, to do a spaghetti and Frank thing would be, we just put, the cheetahs and the super suckers on tour and in the middle we do like a little spaghetti and frank exactly you know, set yeah, essentially bl- bloody up the as middle. long as we're already both out there in vans on the road just take advantage yeah. of that shit just add add uh brian foresight and give him the extra space in the van and now we got a tour <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean yeah yeah and when you get to austin add broken teeth to the bill well of course it there goes without go. saying yes please as hey. you as you well know, uh, we cover. You know, the Cheetahs have done a, a Broken Teeth song, so I'm 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 well documented in my love for the yes. uh, Jason McMaster's catalog. Yeah. Yes, you are, and uh, and Broken Teeth has done a gig with the Super Suckers, I believe, at Red Eyed Fly, probably going on seventeen oh, wow. years ago or something. Crazy. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Wow, yeah. that's right. Is Red Eyed Fly still not? That's not around. It's, anymore, no, it's it? not there. It's nothing's around anymore. No, nothing's the, around. The, Except the, Casino El Camino, I was there last night, and it's still there with the jukebox. So yeah, the that. Red yeah. River has Valhalla and 
That's about it. I think yeah. Will McCabe's and Headhunters and Red well, Eye Fly. E- Emo's is around, but it moved to a different venue, right? right. Well, Emo's is like yeah. a venue. It's not a bar anymore. Right. It's like it's a like venue. A, yeah, yeah, like it's a, a, it, it holds like, you know, theater. 1,300 people now or something. And it's it's cool. It sounds great. Um, mid, middle, middle uh, you know, like uh, B-level bands, like uh, here you go, like, testament that bay area thrash tour was just scheduled to go through there they they did cancel but it was testament exodus and uh death death, angel death angel god damn that's bands like that tours like that go through there and uh that's an uncomfortable amount of heavy metal on one night (laughs) (laughs) well people like to be uncomfortable when they listen yeah yeah no doubt the idea frank tell us real quick about your t-shirt and then we'll let you guys go uh, for people oh. that are just listening and not watching frank is wearing a smack t-shirt smack of course was a underground band from finland sort of a glam garagey kind of thing explain and tell us how that shirt ended up on your back uh well i was more i get a headache <laughs> yeah yeah uh they were a cool band from the 80s and early 90s uh from finland that were just after hanoi rocks and they did a couple i mean they did four or five records but the first two records came out here through like a subsidiary of enigma records which at the time was a pretty big indie so those t- first two records rattlesnake bite and the first one with good morning headache were like you know, you could kind of find those. And they were somewhere between the sort of glamminess of, or, you know, cool glam, not not like Pretty Boy Floyd glam, but like they were sort of like that Alice Cooper-y kind of Hanoi Rocks glam mixed with the Stooges vibe. And I always was a big fan of them. And at the end of their career, they moved from Finland to LA. And I actually got to see them a few times. Sam Yaffa from Hanoi was playing bass for them at that time. And they played a couple clubs. And their guitar player, guitar player, uh, Rain or Rane, he lived in LA for a long time and actually ended up in the Hangman for a while, if, if you guys remember that. Oh, wow. And Rane, I think was his name. Um, yeah. And so uh, the band broke up and the singer passed away. And years and years later, uh, I got in touch, or no, the, there was a Smack tribute album being put together in fin- Finland. And I somehow That's got in touch. Course. Yeah, of course. And I somehow got in touch with the guy and I don't remember if I reached out to him or he reached out to me, but somehow we were in touch and the Cheetahs did a song. We did Criminal and then Frank and Dino show, which was my acoustic uh, group at the time with Dino from the Cheetahs. We did um, we did another song. The name's escaping me. But um So then that guy ended up putting out this book, like a big coffee table smack book in Finland, of course. So it's all in Finnish. And then he contacted me and interviewed me for the book. And so then he sent me the book and I ordered the T-shirt. And it's just funny because like you can open the book and you see that my name's in there. But I, of course, have no idea what, you know, what I said or anything. It's all in Finnish. Couldn't you call George from Rhino Bucket to translate? Yeah, that's true. I could do that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I'm a fan. And, uh, you know, it's just cool that there's been a little bit of a resurgence. And they were definitely one of those underground bands. And, you know, we're all we're all big rock punk rock metal fans here like i think something about the generation we came up with is like there would be these underground bands that your friends hadn't heard of that you'd somehow stumble onto whether it was punk or metal or glam or whatever and like it just blew your mind that how could how can smack be so great and my how can hanoi rocks be so great and they're not the biggest band in the world and so you'd get really i would get even more passionate i feel like for those like 
long lost bands or those bands that never made it. Cause like, of course everyone likes Van Halen, you know, we all, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Van Halen, but like, it's not special to like Van Halen. It's special to love Jason and the Scorchers or the Hangman yeah, or yeah, Smack. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like, it's such a small, when you run into someone with a Smack shirt, you're like, I know I can talk to that dude. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, that's well, what rock it, and roll it, is. It's a, it's a tribe. And when you find things that are speaking your language, you, you look for other people that know the language. And that's yeah. just a normal uh, pheromone, right? Right. Yeah. And T-shirts, of rock T-shirts have always been a great way. And, and baseball hats, you know what I mean? To just tell the world, like, or tell the people that you think might give a shit. Because most people look at, you know, your shirt and go like, whatever. And yeah. every once in a while, someone's like, got you. You know? well, they don't know what it, they don't know what it is, and if they don't. But know we all know is. that Dave's wearing a Rhino Bucket shirt, and we all know that Brian Forsythe from Kicks was in Rhino Bucket, and that Eddie's produced a like we because we're all part of the tribe, like you said. Right. Yeah. Welcome right. to the Nerd Fest. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty and, nerdy pursuit. And Faster covers a Super Sucker song. And they do. Are they set? Yeah. What are they? What song do they do? Uh, what is it? Uh, Shut up and rock, or what? What? Okay. No, that's that's the. Uh, what song do they do of yours, Eddie? Pretty fucked up. Pretty fucked up. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And I think Slim Tender actually uh, does he do lead vocals on it, or he he has a he he does yeah, co vocals. That sounds very on yeah, brand for him. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like Danny, right? That sounds very yeah. on brand for Danny to be singing that song. <laughs> what a great guy Danny is. Yeah, he, that guy's yeah. hysterical, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, I, yeah. I one time was at a studio. And I and I and I heard a faster pussycat song being played, and I go in the room, and there's the whole band rehearsing. And Tammy hadn't shown up yet; like they got there an hour beforehand and set up, and were running through a couple obscure songs that they were going to do, like "Bottle in Front of Me" or something that they hadn't normally done. So they showed up a little early to rehearse, and I kind of peeked my head in because I know all those dudes, and I'm like, "What up?" And Danny's like what up frank meyer and like out of nowhere from behind his amp he pulled the cooler out and and like suddenly like vodka tequila mixers a fucking bag of ice a thing of cups like out of nowhere he had a full bar and i had a, like a giant cocktail in my hand it was like lickety split and before i was like wow thanks they just went in the next song he was just like here you go bro here's a drink blah, blah, blah. anyway two three four i was like wow this guy is incredible no wonder Tammy keeps him around. No doubt. Uh, yeah, T Tammy's been sober for many years, but uh, and not Danny. Yeah, not, not, <laughs> not, not, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how that works. Actually, I know that's got to be a Tammy stays on the on the. Wagon. I think Tammy likes being surrounded by a little bit of chaos. It's sort of like Howard Stern yeah. has always been a straight dude, but he surrounds himself with Artie Langs and right. Sam Kinnisons, and because he loves these, he loves the spectacle of someone else being out of control. He just doesn't mm -hmm. actually want to be out of control himself. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think Tammy a long time ago kicked all the the drugs and the hard partying and kind of got his shit together but i think he loves having danny around because it kind of reminds him of his like former self <laughs> you know yeah yeah well man um you guys thank you so much for spending time with us this afternoon uh this album is great by the way uh motherfucking rock and roll people need to go check this out eddie spaghetti and frank meyer joining forces for the first time on a full-length album and I love it. So it's been in heavy rotation at my house, and uh, people need to go check it out. Jason, you got anything? Person of impeccable taste, David. 
Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> he definitely is. Uh, if if uh, if Metal Dave likes your shit, you're doing something right because he, uh, he really sure. does like a lot of uh, fantastic rock music and. And it's not just uh, glam or punk or heavy metal or thrash or whatever. It really is. He does have a good, uh, a, a decent throw at, at what's what's good shit. So, I think, I think, I think some of that just, I think some of that just comes from you know number one being a fan. But I, I, my background, I guess, as a as a writer or a journalist, I have my my ears are always looking for something that's. Hmm. That that's a little bit above average because I I feel like I have a uh, I I've kind of set the bar a little high for myself. So if you're if you're if you're on my radar, you're doing something right in my opinion. So, but that's just yeah. me. I feel the same way. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I was just gonna tell you guys the record is on uh, Kitten Robot Records, so you can pick it up either through their website or just however you buy digital music. But it's also on vinyl and CD, and I was—I think we were both really happy to see it come out on vinyl yeah. these days. To me, I feel I still am old school enough to feel like if I if I can't hold it somehow physically, mm-hmm. it doesn't is it a real exist. Record, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like oh yeah, yeah we put this out digitally. I'm like, okay. That's, that's why that's why when we were setting up this show I reached out to your your PR folks and I said cuz uh, Frank sent me the album digitally and I had it on my phone and that's the first time I heard it I actually this is how good this record is I sat and listened to it from start to finish on my phone because I couldn't shut it off I was like oh my god this is which good. is not oh, really oh, the oh. best way to take in a record no I, it's I not at all that, but I, that's I, what I'm saying it's like I you know sizzle, and I rarely sizzle 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 yeah. through my phone and, and I don't have a spare 30 minutes for anything you know? <laughs> but I'm like hey this this is really good and song one is over song two kicks I'm like oh that's good song three oh that's good and then I knew we were going to do this episode with you guys. And I was like, I reached out to your PR folks and uh, Frank, thank you for getting this sent my way. But I, I was like, does anybody even make CDs anymore? That, that's what my email said. I was like, does, does, I don't know if you guys even do CDs, but if you do, I like the physical product because I listen to it in my car while I'm driving around and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, they sent me the the CD and I'm always happy to have the tangible product in my hand versus a digital download or whatever. Well, for so guys like through. us who who play live shows too, you it, you know downloads are cool, but you can't sell a download really at a merch table at a gig. You know what I mean? Yeah. So having some physical version of a your piece of music you spend all this time and money on or whatever, you know, you gotta it have something you can. It get, also does your fans. It doesn't. It doesn't feel very cool when you know you're the front man and you're you're basically <laughs> selling downloads via the microphone. You're like, oh, oh, everyone, don't forget to download our record. When you, Y'all can download it right now. Go ahead. Break, everyone break out your phones together, and you go to, you know, www.da-da-da. I don't even like, you know? dude, I don't know about you, Eddie, but I don't even like shouting out my social medias at a gig. I feel like there's nothing yeah. dorkier than me. Like, and you can find us on Instagram, Facebook. <laughs> it's, like, so stupid, like, I just assume yeah. that they're going to find us that route yeah. and I might go yeah. like, Oh, we've got our new album at the merch table. Yeah, That's but um, like, that's the way I can't, I can't get into like plugging my social media from the, no. you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Never no, it push it. that's what I'm saying. Pushing, pushing a download is I, I can't even <laughs> find the right curse word. Yeah. yeah. I'm just laughing, thinking about it. Anybody yeah, in right. the audience like social media? 
Repeat, repeat after me, everybody. Download. <laughs> the, the people on the left say face, and the people on the right say book. Hey, people in the middle say hashtag. <laughs> that oh, shit ain't cool, no. man. That shit no, ain't it's cool. Not. You yeah. can't do it. I can't imagine Bon Scott doing that. No, you yeah, just got to be yeah. like, look, ladies and gentlemen, we're the super suckers. Good night. And you figure the rest out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they will if they're at your show. You know, uh, if so they're at a speak, super suckers gig. Speaking or of that gig. and holding, I mean, Dave's holding the CD. What about something that's, you know, bigger? Vinyl. Yeah, they said. Yeah, they we have vinyl. We have vinyl. Yeah, vinyl. but you can get that from the from the Kitten label. Robot Kitten Records. Robot. We just okay. we just didn't send that to the likes of Dave. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. my God, we can't just, <laughs> right. we can't I'm, just not, I'm not that away. high up. But yeah, I'm not that high. I mean, well, we're not just throwing these things out to the general public yeah. or anything. I'm not Rolling Stone or <laughs> no, Howard not. Stern. No, no I'm still know. waiting for it to arrive. I guess. Well, he can send it to you on your phone. Right. The vinyl. Yeah. 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 I'll send you a rip of the vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, you got anything to add to this I just, conversation? I just want to say it's been a, uh, an excellent episode on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon once again on the Talk Louder podcast. Thank you guys for being here with us today. Yeah. Really appreciate yeah. it. Eddie, it was good to see you. And Frank, it's always a pleasure to see your shining face. Always. Thanks yeah. for having us, guys. Probably yeah. the most prolific man in rock and roll, Frank Meyer. I can't even keep up with all of his music and his books and whatever he's doing. I think doing. he wrote five books during the episode. So. Yeah, I think so. I saw him taking notes. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, I can't keep up with it anymore either. <laughs> right. Well, all right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. I'm Metal Dave with my co-host, Jason McMaster. I'd like to thank our special guest, Eddie Spaghetti from the Super Suckers, Frank Meyer from Ooh. the Streetwalking Cheetahs. Their new album is called Motherfucking Rock and Roll, Spaghetti and Frank on Kitten Robot Records. Go check it out. And thank you all for listening to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. <laughs>